Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little, the musical theater podcast where we talk about musical theater. Musical theater, musical theater, musical theater. I, as always, am your host, Gabrielle Gazelowitz, and with me today is... Hi, I'm Razel. I'm Gabby's older, cooler sister. That is partially true. <laughs> Razel, what musical are we talking about today? We're talking about Oklahoma. Oklahoma, aka Away We Go. I've never seen it called that. Yeah, I think that was the original title. Okay. So before we get into it, I like to just go over our personal relationships with the musical. So I've seen it like at high schools and camps. And also we both saw it on Broadway when I was 10, 11 years old and it was good. Also, the other time I've seen it live is our high school put it on the year after I graduated and I went back and see it and a week to see it. It was actually really good. What about you? So I saw that same Broadway production that had... Everyone. Everybody. Asif Manvi, oh. Schuller, Hensley, Andrea Martin, right. Patrick Wilson. And then Asif Manvi. But then I was in Oklahoma. I was in Oklahoma at camp. And I was at performing arts camp. How old were you? Sixth or seventh grade, I just don't remember. You were like 11 or 12. My major was junior chorus. And the first half of the summer, we did a like choral concert. But the second half, we did a like semi-staged quasi-concert performances with like some dancing, but you know. And you were style. like one of Lori's like assistant dancers. If you like didn't get a main role, but you were like better than just the background chorus, you got the like special chorus, the special girl chorus. So that's what I did. So we did like backup dancing for Out of My Dreams and things like that. I liked your production, but the Broadway one was better. So Oklahoma with an exclamation mark. We're not gonna, every time we should be like Oklahoma, but we're not gonna do that. As a musical, it's from 1943, it's famously Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, Richard Rodgers music, lyrics and book by Oscar Hammerstein II. It's based on a 1931 play Green Grow the Lilacs by Lynn Riggs, and I don't think anyone has ever read Green Grow the Lilacs. So we're going to go through the show and focus in on songs to stop along the way to get through the plot. There's not really a plot except like who's going to take whom to the box social, and then there's going to be weird implications that whoever you take the box social you now own. <laughs> um, also, this inspires me to just go to grad school just so I can like write like some kind of awful doctoral thesis about like the characters in Oklahoma and like sexual autonomy and gender politics. The reason that Oklahoma is an important musical, it's an important, it's a capital I important musical. In the 19, like, 30s and 40s, you had musicals and like people were starting, like, you know, we consider the first like book musical to be showboat in 1927 but this was sort of the next lurch forward the songs are better integrated more to do with the plot but what else is is special about oklahoma is the opening is there was never anything like it before is it used to be you know you open the curtain and like you have like this big like ensemble number or whatever and the curtain opens and it's like an old woman churning butter in like a cornfield and everyone's like what the heck is going on and then you were a voice coming from offstage acapella and everyone was like what i've never thought of like starting a musical small and that that could have commentary on what it is we're going to be seeing for the rest of the musical it's so good so at the butter churn is aunt eller and then from offstage who do we hear it's curly it's hugh jackman Maybe Hugh Jackman. Yeah, it's Curly, and he's singing that there's a bright golden haze on the meadow, or metter. No, the metter. And I can only imagine, like, 
how embarrassing the accents have sounded in every production ever. So Curly sings, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Oh, what a beautiful song. It's a great song. Say We Will About Everything Else, pretty much all the songs are good, with like maybe a couple exceptions. It's just like really good songs, and you can't fault it for that. So the song is interesting because it's establishing our two main characters, which are Curly and the territory of Oklahoma. (laughs) And then it's about like man's relationship to the wilderness. And like, there's all these weird things about like taming the wilderness and farmer and the cowman. And this is sort of like, even though it just seems like a nice song, I think there's little like peaks at that sort of thing. Yes, Razel agrees. (laughs) So Curly is singing about all the wonderful things like the cattle are standing like statues and the corn is as high as as an elephant's eye. But he says... All the sounds of the earth are like music. Yeah. That's a very pretty line. So something else to keep an interesting eye out for is the sort of like Sondheim school of songwriting, which is very alliterative, is that like right the way your characters speak when they're singing too. It's just some songs really nail the voice of the characters. I feel like Ado Annie's and yeah. uh, so, Will so, Parker's songs yeah. really nail them. But Curly and Lori are all over the place. As, yeah. But I think this sort of works as Curly because they're even saying, oh, Curly, you know, you talk so pretty. We meet Aunt Eller, who is like, she's about 50 and therefore like the oldest, the person, oldest person in the whole Oklahoma territory. She's everyone's Aunt Eller, except she might literally be Lori's aunt. Lori's like a Disney princess. She has no parents. Lori's like a Disney princess in a lot of ways. Yeah. All men are fighting after her. No personality. No personality. Just kind of feisty. So something else I like to look at throughout is Curly and Lori as a poor man's Beatrice and Benedict because Curly is showing up and he's talking to Aunt Eller and he's kind of sweet talking her with the song and it's very clear that he wants to see Lori who she and Aunt Eller like together own the farm and it's very clear that Lori and Curly are nuts about each other and pretend to hate each other for no discernible reason other than the fact that they don't like having feelings. I had always assumed something had happened in the past, that there was like some actual actual history there, like they used to be sweethearts, but then something happened. But I guess I was sort of assuming that only because like there's no good reason that they don't like each other. I anymore. mean, I guess in people will say we're in love, they hint at little things. It's like he carved their initials on a tree together. Right, it sounds like they were together at one point. The Lori has to be all of, like, 17, 18. The only character that we know explicitly their age, Gertie, is 18. Annie references the fact that, like, she hit puberty that year. She's like, I was skinny until this year, and then I got (laughs) boobs, and now all the guys like me. So Curly might be, like, a little bit older, but Lori is really young. Curly's probably older if he's, like, an established cowboy. But we meet Lori, who is feisty, because she sees Curly and says, I thought you was somebody. So what we find out is that there's going to be a box social, which I will explain now, because I think it's a really good idea, and I think that we should bring them back. Okay. You don't need a gender room, but you have a group of people who put together, like, laundry baskets or picnic baskets of, like, full meals of, like, a dinner, and you auction them off. The idea is you don't know who's, who yeah. may prepared which meal. It's like a gala dinner meets a potluck, which I think is really nice. And then like whoever's basket turns out you bid on, you eat dinner with them, right? It sounds like you just get to like also win the girl. Like you get to eat whatever's in the picnic basket with whoever brought the picnic basket. So Curly and Lori are like, are we going to the box social together? No, I'm not inviting you. I wouldn't want to go with you anyway. But it does lead us to our next song pretty quick. There's not a lot of space between songs in this musical. Which is great. Surrey with a fringe on top. Have you ever been in a Surrey with a fringe on top? I don't think I've ever been in a Surrey at all. 
I mean, I haven't been in a Surrey with Fringe on Top with horses, but I don't know if you've ever seen these little tourist vehicles that are these little, like, bikes for four people, right. kind of like the Flintstones where you pedal on those. Oh, yes, I have seen those. I know what you're talking about now. No, the weird thing about Surrey with the Fringe on Top is, like, he's being kind of a dick, right? He has this whole song right. about how he's got the Surrey, and she gets super into it, and then at the end, he's like, just kidding, I don't have a Surrey. And she's like... You're so rude. And then it turns out he does actually have a Surrey. A he's bit, messing right? with her because she's still playing coy. They're in like sort of a, a standoff and no one wants to be the one to back off first. But this is another interesting, you know, there's been two songs and they're both about like the territory. Hammerstein as a lyricist and a writer really tended to fetishize these like either parochial settings or, like, lower-class groups. Like, he just liked writing about, like, the common man in a way that I don't think he even necessarily fully understood. You can tell he's so excited about it when he's having Curly sing about how chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. Ooh, also hasn't really got a team of snow-white horses. One's like snow, the other's more like milk. So you can tell them apart. So Curly goes off and a bunch of other guys show up and they're with Will Parker and Will Parker is, like, an adorable idiot, kind of. He's like a... Yeah, he's not too bright. He's also kind of like like a slut with a heart of gold. Not quite. But Will just got back from Kansas City, where he won a rodeo. Some kind of competition. So now that he could pay to marry his girlfriend. He's in love with a farmer's daughter, and the farmer Carnes is like, I'm not going to let you marry my daughter unless you have, like, 50 bucks cash, which I feel like I definitely just, thought it was like $1,000. We should... I mean, it, the equivalent. <laughs> I feel like he just said $50 to be like a big number okay. that he wouldn't have to worry about, and then Will actually won $50. You're right that he's kind of dumb. Because he bought... Right, that's what he does. He earns the $50, and he uses it to buy like petticoats and nightgowns for Ado Annie, and then... And the then he doesn't like, have... You don't have $50. <laughs> uh, this is the first time we see the little wonder, which... Is one of, it like, I, I can't talk, think about it without, like, absolutely cringing. But as far as we know about it right now, it's a little kaleidoscope that you look through and you see naked pictures of women. One of them has a uh, knife hidden in it. Insinuation is that all little wonders have concealed knives so that you can trick someone into stabbing themselves, like, while they're looking at pictures of naked women. There's, like, a lot of naked pictures of women there are in this a lot musical. Of naked pictures because... Of women in because this is when we get into the sort of weird sexual right. stuff of Oklahoma. First of all, lots of people have pictures of naked women. Judd has them up in his... Yeah, but Judd does house. in a creepy way. But we have our next song already. Kansas City. Yeah. Would you say that things are behind in Kansas City? <laughs> it's kind of like a one-note joke song. Like, it's a very fun song. It's got one joke, which is... Will thinks everything's up to date in Kansas City, but us listening it today think everything's old-fashioned. Like old-fashioned yes but what it but what the song does succeed in doing is contextualize what a legitimate like city of the era would have been like as opposed to what things are like here he's like you can watch privies in the rain and never wet your feet it's like okay some places had indoor plumbing this oklahoma territory was not one of these you see 20 gas buggies every time you go outside yeah and they have zero gas you find out that people really like to look at naked women yeah, once again. Still more naked so women. In, in the movie, God bless it, they like censor it. I know, they changed then the Then she lyrics. started dancing and her dancing made me feel. It's like she got naked. Calm, calm down. There's a line here that I forgot where Will starts dancing. They go, what is it? And he goes, ragtime. Seen a couple of colored fellers doing it. That's not so offensive. So 
we meet Judd. Oh, Judd. Poor Judd. Well, Judd is an interesting character. He's a villain and he's bad. And I don't know if I would say he's sympathetic, but he's not simple. In fact, he's more complex than maybe any other character in the musical characters that are, like, good. Oh, definitely. So, Howard De Silva was the original Judd. Yeah, right? So young. Such a young Judd. He must have been so young when he was Judd. Oh, man, I really wish I paid attention in college. So here's something I think I learned in my college class about Judd. Judd is coded as black. This is something I learned in my college class. In the one day we talked about Oklahoma, the claim was made, and I don't remember what the evidence was. Maybe it was just, like, as the outsider. No, they refer to him as being, like, dark and muscly and, like, wanting to sleep with, like, beautiful blonde women. women. Huh. I feel like we kind of have to put that aside if we want to be able to critique his character, like, psychologically. Fair enough. So, Judd is the farmhand for Aunt Eller and Lori, and he kind of single-handedly runs the farm. farm. And he lives out in the smokehouse, which we will see, where he has, like, pictures of naked women and, like, mice and stuff. So Judd is sort of, like, terse and weird, and everyone in the town sort of makes fun of him. They're like, oh, that, like, weird, strong, quiet guy who's, like, really socially awkward who, like, lives out on Lori's farm. Right. The sort of first thing we hear from Judd is that he's taking Lori to the box social. And everyone is like, what? Like, that's ridiculous. But then Lori takes Aunt Eller aside, and what we essentially learn is she just told Judd yes to annoy Curly because that's the kind of thing that she does. And she's actually really panicked because she kind of has been living her life in fear of Judd. Right, because he's kind of stalking her a little bit. He's been kind of stalking her, and we'll see that Aunt Eller starts to sort of appreciate what Lori is saying, but in the beginning here, she's just kind of like, what are you scared of? Like, whatever, he has naked pictures up in his, like, house. We're in the Oklahoma territory, so But it's also, she's like a realist, because she's like, we couldn't run the farm without him. Yeah. But this is the first time Lori says that something's wrong inside him. And then that she's been, like, locking her doors and stuff. So whatever else we will say about Judd and his motivations and his intentions and what he's going through, there's something off about Judd, specifically in a way that makes Lori feel unsafe and get weird stuff about, like, also, like, men and entitlement. Which certainly every person, it's Oklahoma, and everyone feels that they are entitled to stuff because that's how expansionism works, but Judd's manifests itself in a creepier way. Oh, do we get Ado Annie now? Yeah, we meet Ado Annie. Yay! Okay. One of my favorite characters in musical theater. She's an ethical slut. That's what we would call it nowadays. Would we? As she explains, she's like, I just hit puberty and got boobs and now all the guys want to kiss me and I want to kiss all of the guys. This often means her getting into pickles, such as like having a boyfriend and when he's not around and seeing another boy liking that guy better. She is Lori's, like, best friend, and they have a conversation where she's like, don't you know what it's like when guys want to, like, kiss you all the time? And Lori's like, no. (laughs) And Annie's like, I do. I will sing you about it. So, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Can't. Can't. Just just a girl who can't say no. Shout out to Celeste Holm for originating this role. This song is so great. Yeah, this is a great song. This is, so this is, this is a song that, as you said, is perfect for writing to the voice of the character the comic relief characters and the B characters and so on are just generally more interesting than the main characters. I don't know, she's singing all about how just, like, she gets sexually aroused by men 
And even though it's played for humor, it's nice to see that perspective in like pre-Kinsey. It doesn't say in the text of the play, but that Edo Annie means like I do Annie. Yeah, I was just about to say what Edo is supposed to mean, but. Oh, so uh, Edo Annie mentions Ali Hakim. It's Persian. (laughs) So Ali Hakim is the local like itinerant peddler who goes around the territories just selling stuff. They keep talking about what he's a Persian peddler and he speaks like in this phony Phony Persian Persian accent and talks about like what things are like in Persia, even though it's clear he's never been there. People literally don't realize that he's supposed to be a Jewish character. Seeing Asif Manvi in the role made me less sure that he's definitely supposed to be Jewish, even though I know that all, I don't know if all the peddlers, just most of the peddlers at West at this time were Jews, but like this could have been some it could have been some immigrant other brown of, immigrant of person. color who was like this is but everyone t- wants to buy stuff from a Persian I know I know peddlers yeah. that was a Jewish job at West yeah or like Levi yeah. Strauss I really get a lot out of reading this character as Ashkenazi Jewish and also like he is licentious as in a in a yeah, particular way as we are going to see that is true um which he also. Like, he tries to use, like, the Persian-ness to make him sexier. Yeah, he's trying to make himself more exotic. That's his whole... Yeah, in in every sense of the word. Um, Because he shows up and the first thing we see is Aunt Eller threaten him because he... Sold him a broken... A broken egg egg beater. beater. So he tries to give the women things, slash sell them things to sort of smooth things over. And what is relevant is that... Well, he asked Lori, what do you want? And she starts this extremely Disney princessy monologue about right. all the things she wants. We sort of finally get like the female perspective of this like frontier mentality because the men are like, we want to like rope cows and like have adventure. And she's like, I want things I've never had before. So she wants like physical things like a buggy and a sugar bowl. And she says, I want things I can't tell you about. Not only things to look at and hold in your hands, things to happen to you, things so nice, even if they ever did happen to you. Your heart would quit beating and you'd fall down dead. It's very dramatic. It's uh, very dramatic, very... and it's interesting that it's not like an I want song. But um the peddler sells her a bottle of smelling salts that he says belonged to a pharaoh's daughter and it's the elixir of Egypt, and it is also unclear whether or not they are actually just smelling salts or also like hallucinogenic. Hallucinogenic. <laughs> so it turns out that Ado Annie, in the absence of her boyfriend Will Parker, has been canoodling with the peddler. So Annie is really interesting here we see because even though we talk about like how slutty she is, her idea of running around with all the guys is like second basing it with all the guys. She also like is like excited about marrying these guys. She's conflicted about settling down, but she certainly is into the idea of getting married. I think because getting married means that you get to like kiss a guy all the time. So what's interesting here is she's talking to the peddler and she says, like, so what, like, what are, what are your intentions, sort of? And he's like, let's go to a hotel. And she's like, what do they have at a hotel? Like, she doesn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, well, like, at a hotel, we would, like, spend the night. And she's like, oh, so you want to get married? Like, it does not occur to her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's weird because she says, like, like, I know that, like, guys are up to no good and only after one thing, but she doesn't get it. She says she gets it, but she doesn't. Then Will shows up. There's the whole, like, Ado Annie being, like, 
Will and the peddler and yeah it's like she likes whoever she's with the time better so when both of them are at the same time she doesn't know how she feels don't start talking Gertie Will we meet Gertie who is a girl who exists to have an annoying laugh and also make Laurie jealous because she likes Curly even though Curly clearly doesn't give a crap about her yeah not at all but it's kind of the same way that like Laurie impulsively was like said yes to Judd to make Curly jealous Curly like agrees to show up with Gertie to make Lori jealous, but obviously that's much more dangerous for Lori. And then when Lori sees uh, Curly with Gertie, she gets to sing the like strong feminist anthem of uh, Many a New Day. You're skeptical it's a strong feminist anthem? Yeah. Okay, like if you look at it on its own, sure it reads that way, but it's so Lori trying to reassure herself and failing. That's true. But it has beautiful lines, right? Never have I asked an August guy where has last July gone. But you're right. Oh, so we meet Ado Annie's dad, who is a stereotypical shotgun-wielding farmer, who we know doesn't particularly like Will, so he's pretty much like, all right, peddler, you're gonna marry Annie. Right, because she's like, he's gonna marry me. And she, like, makes the mistake of, like, repeating things. <laughs> that like Right, because that's another sign of how naive she is. Yeah, like, she's she so oblivious. Get... She's like, yeah, he thinks I'm like a Persian cat because they're the ones with the soft, fluffy tails. <laughs> and I'm like... You don't tell your dad about <laughs> in this like a, part, right? And then he's like, "In this part of the country, that better be a proposal of marriage." So all of a sudden, the peddler's like, "Crap! Now I have to marry any." Oh, so it's our brother's favorite song. This is my least favorite song in the show. I also think it's the like least memorable and like the least uh, interesting. I don't think it's a bad song. It's just if you had to pick one song in the show that's easiest to cut, you cut this one. I guess it's like the male Corrines or whatever you call them. Yeah. Haven't had a chance to do anything. So they come out and they sing a funny little song about how difficult it is romancing women in the wild, wild west when their fathers are all around with shotguns. I do like the line, we got to start a revolution. And all of a sudden the girls show up and say, all right, boys, revolve. <laughs> yeah, that's a good ending. So after this little interlude with the peddler and his, and his buddies... We are almost at the box social. We have a ways to go for the box social. Box social. Okay, um, so she's still packing her hamper. And Curly and Annelle are in Gertie are all there again. Curly and Lori are still talking about how they're still this doing their like Beatrice and Benedict thing where they're like pretending that they're... That they hate each other. Hate they're like, other. why does everyone say that we like each other? That's why so dumb. Why does everyone dumb. think that we were going to take each other to the box social? So they sing about it with people will say we're in love, which, once again, out of context, is a very beautiful, well-written, cute musical theater song. And this is this is where Hammerstein is the furthest off, because... You think in terms of their personalities? Yeah. Your eyes mustn't glow like mine. They don't even know the word mustn't. This is a, an if I loved you, only If I loved you believe. does it a little bit better. Yeah, there's a, this, like a lot of the other songs, they sing most of the song and then like something happens and they, and they have to do like a really quick mini reprise with someone crying. So, but Curly's jealous that Lori is going to the party with Judd to the box social. So he goes to the smokehouse where Judd lives. So Curly has something against Judd because of Lori, but you can see that he also just has utter disdain for him. Curly is not a nice person. <laughs> he's very self, he's self-centered for one. Yeah. And... He only, we only see him bully Judd, but on the other hand, that's... He kind of bullies Lori. Yeah, he kind of bullies Lori, too. Everyone kind of bullies Lori, honestly. So Curly comes, shows up, and is like, hey, nice smokehouse you got here, Judd. Nice naked pictures of ladies. Because of the fact that Judd is forthright about it, that's what makes him perverted. 
Curly is like nosed at kind of like, oh no, a naked woman, a woman, oh, like that's attractive. Oh no, I shouldn't look and like joking about it. And that makes him the good guy. And Judd is like, yeah, I like looking at naked pictures of women. On the other hand, Will Parker and his buddies like looking at pictures of naked women and in their little wonder thing and at the burlesque and they're not like evil. There's something, there's something about Judd that's more than just like, that's sinister, more than just like objectifying women. Um, Curly immediately is like, hey Judd, you should hang yourself. Yeah. Curly is going like two steps forward, one step back with Judd. He's sort of seeing how far he can push him before he's about to push him too far and then he takes it back a notch. Okay, so this is poor Judd is Dade. Dade. D-A-I-D. Dade. But poor Judd is Dade. A candle lights his head. (laughs) His fingernails have never been so clean. It's a very funny song, right? It's this like very funny, dark humor. But in terms of like it's functioning in the plot, like what's your read? Does Curly really think he can convince Judd to kill himself? And no, I think he's going in there and he's just he's just teasing him because he can. He can get a rise out of Judd because it turns out that Judd is weirdly kind of sensitive. Is that he has? It's well, not that he's a tough exterior with like a softy oh, on the inside. Is that he taps into these wait. really deep insecurities. Judd starts getting into it and like living out the fantasy. And he goes, you know, people used to treat him bad. And, like, now they're really sad that they lost their opportunity. And we do know at the end of the musical that people don't care that Judd is dead, essentially. Right. As 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 Curly sort of suspects here. But he says things like, Curly says, the daisies in the dell will give out a different smell because poor Judd is underneath the ground. He's so caught up in, in, yeah. in the emotional aspect of this story. Right. But all the, like, stage instructions, directions are, like, Judd is too emotionally exalted by the spirit of Curly singing to be analytical. He is different than other people, and he is understood, and he is maligned, and he uses that to be like, I'm right, and everyone else is wrong. Yes, definitely. And there are things that are wrong with him. And here's the part where we find out that Judd has... So it's unclear, and it really depends on you reading the text. So Judd is talking to Curly about where he came from, and he said that he used to live in Tulsa, and that the people who owned the farm treated like they were better than him. There's also like a class thing, or maybe if you bring in the black coding, like a race thing, his perception of how people think they're maybe better than him, which he'll get into with Lori. But Judd says that someone told him about this terrible fire that Curly had heard about, that it was actually homicidal arson. He may or may not be talking about himself. Right, it's unclear. I see that now. He says, a feller told me. The hired hand was stuck on the Bartlett girl. And he found her in the hayloft of another feller, and it was him that burned the place. And Judd's like, yes. Whether or not it was him that actually set the fire, we know that this is what's going on in his head right, when right, he's right. liking his employer and worried and like worried about yeah. whether or not she respects him and then therefore yeah. likes him. They finally get down to it, and Curly and Judd sort of confront each other and say, "Well, we both like Lori." And Curly goes just straight up, like gets old and makes this really mean speech yeah. about what a miserable wretch of a human Judd is. Yeah, he like lives in a hole like a snake. Curly says, like, out here, you can either live outdoors or live in a hole, and I'm better than you because I live outdoors and you hide in a hole. Which is an interesting perspective given the yeah. fact that the place Oklahoma is the main character of this musical. So Judd sort of instinctively, like, just shoots his gun in the air out of anger, and then Curly to kind of, like, it becomes this weird machismo thing, and Curly, like, shoots a little um, hole in the wall to show yeah. that he can do it. Everyone comes running, and they're like, oh, they didn't kill each other. That's good. 
So the peddler stays behind to try to sell Judd stuff. He tries to sell him nudie postcards. Judd's like, I have enough of those. I want a real woman. He says, actually, do you have a little wonder that you can stab someone with? And the peddler is like, um, no. <laughs> no, I don't. The peddler leaves and Judd sings Lonely Room. Uh, growing up, I didn't know it was a song in Oklahoma. Gabby, why didn't I know that it was a song in Oklahoma when I was growing up? Oh, because our parents would skip it when they played the cast recording. But Gabby, why? Because it was about death? Because you refused to listen to it. We never listened to it growing up because of you. It's really really sad and upsetting. It's like significant character development for Judd. It's his I want song, which is I'm going to get myself a woman. He is sensitive to the fact that he's been ostracized. His I want is so, the the, the line that really kills me is, and the girl that I want ain't afraid of my arms. Like, he realizes that he, like, scares people, people, but he doesn't doesn't know how to. He doesn't want to, and he doesn't know how not to. But Lonely Room is a powerful song. Yeah. He talked, right, it's interesting also, we'll have to see, because he's talking about what he's dreaming about, and then we'll see what Laurie is dreaming about. Yeah. Soon. So, meanwhile, back to Lori and her friends, and Lori's like, I'm going to smell these smelling salts, and her friends are like, you're an idiot. And she's like, too late, I've done it, and now I may or may not be high, or maybe my imagination is just running around with away with me, but it's the f- famous Agnes DeMille dream ballet. Right. Yay! Yay! Okay, so the dream ballet. This is what's really original about Oklahoma. As we were saying before, it's not the first that integrated songs or dance, blah, dance, blah, blah, blah. What the Dream Ballet is, is it's the first time that that dance furthers the plot and is used actually as this like psychological insight into the characters and not just for fun on the stage. So what happens over the course of the Dream Ballet is Laurie realizes that she really wants Curly. And, and is also terrified. And is terrified of Judd. And then wakes up with Judd there to take her to the box social. And she right. sort of has worked out her confusion because of the hallucinogenic drugs. I once read in a book we have about something about how like Curly tries to kill Will in the dream ballet and it's like, oh, it's her like super ego attacking her id or something like Wait, way who too tries Freudian to kill about who? that. Judd tries to strangle Curly He does. In the dream ballet. He does kill Curly in the dream ballet. Well, it's ballet. unclear if he kills him. Maybe. Yeah. But then there's also things like Loose women hanging right. out that well, like Lori like sees pictures like, from Judd's it's, it's like the pictures home. come to life, and but then so it's this weird comparison for it's like for the Lori, darkest moment is is in the dream ballet. She's gonna marry Curly, and and Curly, at the last minute, Curly turns into Judd. And what's interesting is when she's about to marry Judd, no one will help her right, because right. we know that she Lori's already like reached out for help at least from Aunt Eller and hasn't gotten any. Right. But I also think the women like the sexual women are like both sort of what she fears and also a kind of competition i i definitely see it more of she's not scared that judd is gonna like kill her well or beat her up she's scared that he desires her sexually and that is what's scary to her they don't really say or sing but you see that yeah that's what she's scared of and that's our finale act one and we're still not we're still not the box social so act two and we open with a great opening act two number, and it's the farmer and the cowman. Which, first of all, has some, like, great dancing. Great like, dancing. The, the, like, in all the dancing is great, yeah. That's true. But there, they, it's just, like, a really, like, great, you can have, like, couples dancing, big number. Um, sort of like the square dancing with the... And yeah. this is, like, the perfect song for the show, because it's funny, it's visually exciting to watch, 
it's in character of like the characters are seeing, but it's also saying something bigger. Yeah. So even though it's a funny song about how like, oh, like the farmer and the cow man like can't get along, but it's about like the conflict of this territory that's going to be joining the union soon, everyone's pretty sure. And spoiler yeah, alert, brand they, new state. <laughs> brand new state. Gonna treat you great. But that the different relationships between the farmers are there and they're trying to turn land into America. They're trying to have like farms and towns and buildings and the, the box social is to actually raise money for a schoolhouse yeah they haven't really probably needed a schoolhouse up to this point because it would seem that all the women around are like families of the farmers and the cow the cow men are like the guys who've like either like grown up or in the west or like come out west and they see the farmers as like encroaching on their freedom so it's a really fun song it involves um Aunt Eller threatening everyone with, with a gun to sing to get along, which is also maybe metaphorical if you think about it. All the women, as personified by Aunt Eller, are like not interested in your stupid like farmer cowman fight. They like right. they're like survivalists. Yeah, because yeah. they just gotta turn their butter or whatever. Which and is they amazing. Have to sing, uh, territory folks should stick together. Territory <laughs> folks should all be pals. And now we're finally at the box social. Yay! We established the rules, which is that you're not supposed to know whose basket is whose, but like... But everybody does. Everybody pretty much knows. So the peddler confronts Will because the peddler has a problem because he does not want to marry, you know, <laughs> Annie. Will does. The peddler, feeling threatened by Will, can't actually tell Will that he's not interested in marrying Well, that Annie. would be offensive to Will also. The peddler right. is like really stuck. So the peddler starts buying back the things that Will spent the $50 for like, on. For, like, outrageous amounts of money. Yeah. He's like, $8? I only paid three fifty. Twenty two fifty. Right, he keeps insisting he pay him more and more. Also, Will, like, screws up the math and ends up earning $49. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, how much you want for this? He's like, uh, two fifty. He's like, that gives me 15 And the peddler's like, he's like, oh, no, he gives me 49 And he's like, how much for everything else in this bag? And the peddler's like, $1. <laughs> And Will's like, oh, now I have $50 and I get Annie. And it, and, and the peddler's like, oh, he goes, you re, you sure bunkoed me. One thing that also happens here, because everything goes oh. back, is Will shows him his little wonder. Will does not realize that his little wonder. And the peddler it, only knows because Judge, Judge just told him. him. But he doesn't have a chance. It looks like he's about to tell Will and he does not have a chance. Judge shows up and, and just the, buys it from Will. Yeah. The peddler may be a little bit slimy, but he has he does have a moral compass and standards to to yeah, to yeah, the yeah. extent that he does not want to see anyone get murdered. Yeah, he doesn't want to be an accessory to murder, that is true. So what's interesting, so we have the two girls that like are our main characters, and the bidding on their boxes fits very much into the tone of their subsequent plots. Because first we have Annie, and the bidding on her hamper is pretty much comic relief. Will and Ali Hakim end up in a bidding war because Will, being an idiot, <laughs> he's so dumb. He's so, so dumb. So slow. He's like, he's like, oh, like I have to bid on my girl's hamper, and he bids all his fifty dollars. And her father is like, now you don't, now have- you don't have fifty dollars anymore. So the peddler has to pay fifty one dollars <laughs> for food that is presumably not even very good, <laughs> according to the guy who won it last year. Right, because what are you getting for your $51? A A three-day bellyache! Everybody laughs. So we know that even though Will loses the auction, that means he gets Annie, and the peddler has has essentially spent by this point $101 (laughs) to not have to marry Annie. And her dad is just kind of like, I don't know. So now we're going to bid on Lori. And 
Judd is immediately just outbidding everyone. And it's weird because the stage directions are like, oh, Lori stands there like immobilized with terror is like Judd and like dread as Judd keeps bidding. And it's like, she's sort of like silently pleading for help. And the most that Aunt Eller could do is like try to encourage other people to bid. Right. She's like seeing almost like if he wins this, he gets me is sort of what everyone starts seeing it as. It's re- and it's a little and it's a little bit like there's nothing she can do except sit there and watch and it's like because she right. has no agency right and like the social contract is like Lori can't just be like no I don't want him to bid on my basket also because she is afraid of him but Curly comes in and he and Judd start having a bidding war and Curly sells everything he sells his, his saddle and his horse and then Judd's like you have nothing left to sell except for your gun and you can't sell that and so Curly sells his gun which amounts to like death. Right, and then Lori even like Lori's no like, one doesn't have a gun. gun. Yeah, she's like it's not worth it, but he does, and he very slightly outbids Judd, and everyone's like, "Yeah." Well, first Judd bids forty two dollars and thirty one cents, which is Just everything, everything he's, he's saved ever for two and years. Yeah, yeah, he unlike unlike Curly, he has nothing to sell, and everyone kind of seems to want to help Curly out. It seems like everyone around is freaked out by the whole bidding war. Something um, is off. Everyone's like, okay, guys, shake hands because we need to relieve the tension. And Judd is like, sure, I forgive you. Here, look at this little wonder. <laughs> and this is a single moment that like, oh my God. Because like, he's about to like hit it. And then like the peddler sees what's happening, runs in hands, tells Aunt Eller, who runs in and just like makes, and just like interrupts. And like Curly is none the wiser for what was going to happen to him. So Judd sort of kidnaps Lori. He like dances her offset. And so we don't know what's going on with Judd and Lori. And while we're feeling really nervous about that, we're taking a break for another great Annie and Will song. All or Nothing? All or Nothing. Which is a song where Will is like, you're the sluttier one out of us. So you're the one who has to like chill out about this and like be my wife. And Annie's like, oh, fine, I guess. Something else that I did not pick up on when I was younger. She goes, build me a house. And he goes, big enough for two, but not for three. And she goes, supposing that we should have a third one. He goes, he better look a lot like me. They're just so cute and sweet and kind of dumb. They're both kind of dumb. At one point, the peddlers like you two were made for each other. <laughs> so then we go back to Lori and Judd. And Judd confronts her. And he says, you're afraid of me. You hide from me on the farm. You didn't want to actually come with me here tonight. It's because you think that uh, you're better than me. And she kind of gets mad in response and is like... I am better than you, which was maybe yeah. not the right thing to... S- I mean, she, does, she doesn't really know how to articulate her fears. And she fires him. She also yeah, so fires She finally him. talks back to him. Which then gets to weird stuff about, like, gender and, like, economic power. That is true. Right, but it starts this that he first sort of became... Either fell in love with her, became obsessed with her when she had, like, gone to take care of him when he was sick. Right, because, like, presumably no one's ever been kind to him before. Yeah. But it's interesting because after she fires him, he says, well, you brought it on yourself. And he said, and it says, in a voice harsh with an inner frenzy, can't help it, can't never rest, told you the way it was, you wouldn't listen. And he just runs out. Like he has some kind of like the rage in him that might be pathological. Yeah. Is like boiling. And Lori is sitting there terrified. And Curly shows up. They finally get over it and like kiss and yes, and they finally met. They like each other. Blah, and blah, then blah. he immediately proposes, and then he screams out. As soon as Lori says that that she'll marry him, Curly make, has this big speech about how he's going to have to become a farmer. Well, he did just sell his horse and his saddle. He did, and his gun. <laughs> his gun. The gun you need, even if you're a farmer. Like he sees which way the wind is blowing, and and then he screams out. If there's anyone around this yard that can hear my voice, I'd like for you to know that Lori Williams is my girl. And she's went and got her to ask her to marry me. Aww. 
And then they replace. And then they people replace say people say we're in love. love. Let people say we're in love. Aww. Yeah. Starlight looks well on us. So back to the peddler and Edo Annie. She wanted to say goodbye to him and of course now that she is in his company not will she's starting to doubt herself (laughs) again again. even though she just had a whole song about it but the peddler is like no no you go do the right thing i'm gonna make out with you a little bit more though but then will gets to make out with her also what is it the persian goodbye the persian goodbye is a is is a is a big sexy kiss (laughs) and an oklahoma hello is an even bigger (laughs) sexier kiss and that all ends happily and so it's three weeks later and one curly and Lori are gonna get married and also that judd hadn't been seen since the night of the box social, but that he's been like around he's been and drinking, drunk. So we're not worrying about it for right now because everyone is going to sing Oklahoma, the title song. song. Yay! But Oklahoma, similar to the farmer and the cowman should be friends, is a great song because it's a song about the main character of the musical, which is Oklahoma. Oklahoma. It's weird because it's a celebration of how beautiful the nature of the state is, but <laughs> how you can harness it for like man. So it's about, like, man's mastery over the wilderness as, like, the triumph of American expansionism. But we do get lines like, Yeah. And Curly and Lori get married. Everyone, like, does this weird hazing thing where they, like... It's a shivery, which is, like, an actual old-school custom of harassing a bride and groom on their wedding night. Explain this to me. I think the word comes from aroma language. I think it's been like different versions of different times, but it's some variation of like playing practical jokes or bothering like the bride and groom. Well, here um, they like throw fake babies at their window. So there's light teasing, though the women are like, men are so stupid and the men are like, stay out of this. Also, Gertie is now married to the peddler. Couldn't help help himself when he saw the moon reflecting off of her father's shotgun. (laughs) Um, And so Will, like to like sort of get a rise out of the peddler, starts making out with Gertie. And all he succeeds in doing is getting Edo Annie jealous, which is a little bit hypocritical of her. Come on, Annie. And then she starts, she and, like, Gertie, like, get into a straight-up, like, fight. Bitch slapping each other. Essentially, yeah. Oh, Judd shows up. And now this is where the musical is gonna take a turn for the... Weird? Dark? (laughs) Dark. Judd starts the fight by hitting Curly, but Judd gets out a knife. Curly, in self-defense ends up killing Judd with Judd's knife. Curly grabs his arm and succeeds in throwing him. Judd falls on his knife. So according to the stage directions, Judd really does fall on his own knife. I suppose there's a way to stage this where it seems more like... Ambiguous. Like Curly is very quick to be like, I didn't do it. Right. And Judd is dead. Judd is actually dead. And and like people aren't happy about it. Well, Lori is really upset and Aunt Miller has this great speech about how you gotta be hardy. You, you gotta be tough. But here's what I find a little bit weird. So Curly just accidentally killed someone, but they're like, okay, you should turn yourself in. And Ann Eller is like- Because it turns out that a federal marshal, like one of the friends is also a federal, federal marshal. marshal. He's the one who's like, Curly, you should right. turn yourself in. It turns out Ado Annie's dad, the farmer, is also a judge. Like Ann Eller is like, let's just do it here. And people are like, you can't do that. That's illegal. This has to be done in a court of law. And Ann Eller is like, nope, let's just do it here so they can go on their honeymoon. Well, it's always a throwaway line is, let's not break the law. Let's just bend it a little. little. The fact that this is all played for- for laugh, I find a little bit yeah. off-putting. Absolutely. Like, this whole, like, it's not a big deal, let's just do a trial here. Innocent! Whoa, honeymoon time! is like, you just killed a man. Yeah, they do this really fast BS trial, trial where, which <laughs> the men who are supposed to be, like, responsible for justice clearly don't feel good about. Right, and this guy, Cord Ellum, who's a federal marshal, everyone, he keeps being like, this is not legal, and everyone's like, shut up, no one likes you. 
um, it's a reprise of Oh What a Beautiful Morning. Yeah. And then they end with Oh What a Beautiful Day while they go off on their honeymoon as if, like, Curly didn't just kill someone. The end. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the show. And it's supposed to be on an upbeat note. And it is overall because of, like, blah, 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 America and the couples we wanted to get together, get together. So we usually talk about the Tonys that a show wins on the podcast. Oklahoma is the earliest show that we've talked about so far. And it actually came out just too soon to qualify for the first Tony Awards. There have been five productions. The only Tony it got was for Shuler Hensley. Into the Woods uh, in Oklahoma were the only two nominees. So that would be a that would be a tough year. That would be a tough year. There was a production of Oklahoma like a couple of years ago in DC. I think it was DC, right? Yeah. Where the um Curly was Native American mm-hmm. and Lori was African American. And I think Will was like Latino or something. It was it was a diverse it wasn't just them. Like like the cast wasn't it I wasn't like it, Hamilton diverse. What they said was like actually the population of Oklahoma territory was at the time very diverse. Yeah. Obviously, Native American territory and lots of African Americans had moved there from the South. And so, which is a very, very cool. Yeah, I would have loved um, to have seen it. Ado Annie was white in that. Also like a 16 year old. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so something we like to do is we like to talk about our favorite and least favorite lyrics. My co-hosts often get kind of upset and just kind of have to go with a lyric they like and a lyric they don't like. Razel, do you have a least favorite lyric? Or, or a lyric that bothers you at least? I told you before, my least favorite lyric is, it's not a bad lyric, I just, I think it's weird, is from, I'm just a girl who can't say no, supposing that he says that you're sweeter in cream and he's gotta have cream or die, what you gonna do when he talks that way, spit in his eye, the whole visuals of that lyric just turns me off. It's kind of weird, even though I like the song. So my least favorite lyric, I'm going to have to pick one line from Let People Say We're In Love that is like both cheesy and out of character from People People Will Say Say We're In Love. Don't sigh and gaze at me. Your sighs are so like mine. Your eyes mustn't glow like mine. It's not even a particularly good lyric and it like doesn't really mean anything. Also, your sighs are so like mine. Do like people in love like sigh like in sync? What would you pick as your favorite lyric? I'm sort of torn between all the sounds of the earth are like music. Mm which is a great lyric. And never have I asked an August sky where has last July gone. Those are both good. So mine is actually going to be from I'm just a girl who can't say I can't say no. Oh, that's ironic. I really like kissing's my favorite food with or without the mistletoe. I'm in a holiday <laughs> mood. It's a cute lyric. It's such a cute lyric. It's a little bit clever for Annie, but not too clever. It's about as clever as she It's comfortably as very clever, clever as she song. can get. Razel, thank you You're for welcome. being on my podcast. This was so fun. I'd you, like to do another one. You were on the podcast before our brother was on the podcast, but he might be next episode. Thanks for listening to Pick Little Talk a Little. You can follow us on Twitter at PalTalPodcast, as in P-A-L-T-A-L. Email us at PalTalPodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Pick a little, talk a little. We are produced and edited by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. You can find her at rachel-jacobs.com or on Twitter at WTFRJK. I've been your host, Gabrielle Gazelowitz. I'm at gabriellegazelowitz.com, which is spelled in a way that you probably wouldn't guess. And I'm on Twitter at Gabby Gazelowitz. So see if you can find me. So until next time, and as they say in Rent, just came to say goodbye, love. Goodbye, love. 
Just came to say goodbye, love. Goodbye. Just came to say goodbye, love. Goodbye, love. Uh, so that should be I, a, thing, a thing you do in every podcast. When you get up to it, you have to be like, the title song. Not every song musical has a title song. That's true. 